Hello and welcome to our series, um, Finding Your Atom. I'm excited to come here once again with my friend and partner in crime, Amrita Sen, to discuss what is your atom? How do you find your atom? How do you can actually find this both in business, in life, in love, in passion, in dreaming, and really making something that is unique? And I always want to do, if you look at what is an atom, an atom is the smallest unit of ordinary matter that forms a chemical element. So this is a concept that me and Amrita have been working and Amrita has been creating a big concept around this. But in the end of the day, the atom, the way we do it in this series is about who we are, what we're doing, what makes us who we are. And this element that is our inner force in religion, in life, in spirituality, there's thousands of ways of looking at this. It might be a drive, it might be a hustle, it might be your crazy passion for something. It might be just that things happen by accident and you have to change your entire life. But what we want is to look at this, look at our bubbles as well. A lot of concepts are going to be talking in this series, but we are very excited to uh, talk with wonderful achievers, people that went through a lot of challenges, but they definitely know their atom and they find their atom and they keep finding it or at least building them. That's our series, and I'll pass the word to you, Amrita. I'm very excited to be here today. Well, I, in the spirit of finding your atom, I went through my own existential crisis uh, when I was shipping product to Bed Bath & Beyond and Dillard's and Nordstrom's as a designer, uh, my dream, as you all know. And then it became painfully clear that those stores were being shut down because of just the, the obvious movement towards online. So I personally had to make a supply chain shift and a strategic shift to being previously supplying product from China to regular retailers to now supplying stuff that could be made here by American manufacturers now to online stores. So that was me trying to figure out what specifically I could do to stay in business. Now, what I didn't know is that you're not usually when you have a struggle like this, you're not alone. There are other people that are parts related to your business and other areas that are facing a similar struggle. So how were, how was I going to go find my coalition of the willing people who are willing to embark on this gigantic reinvention? So I started personally, I always believe the answer to things is meet as many people, talk to people. I ended up finding a Mexican manufacturer, went down to Mexico to see what they were doing. And then they said, after many trips to Mexico, they said, you got to meet this guy, Stephen. When I met Stephen, I almost thought this is not a real person because whatever I'm thinking in 2018, he's been thinking in 2010, and he's way farther into the struggle of regular retail going to online than I was. So what I'd like to talk about today and ask Stephen is what made him be as crazy in 2010, which took me almost eight years to figure out what were the early signs of his changing his business to fight against the movement, against the brick and mortar retailers dying and then customers going to online. So I'll volley it over to Stephen and I'll say, why did you go uh, into this direction in the first place? To examine that, we need to go back to 1999. 
I had spent 19 years living in Asia and Europe as a turnaround guy. And I came back to the States and I saw what Amazon was doing. They were selling books and CDs. That's it. And I saw a company called Stacks and Stacks. They were selling some home decor products. And I saw Overstock. And that's about all I saw. Yeah. Um, I discovered a few others that were around even longer um, later. But that's all I could see. And I said, I can do this with home decor products and even filing cabinets. I, I know manufacturers because I was a turnaround person. I, I met all these people along the way, whether they needed a turnaround or just we needed their help to do a turnaround. Um, and, and I said, I could do this. And I started a website and it took 45 minutes to put one product on in 2000. And I got fed up with that and I sold it and um, went back into doing turnarounds, but this time domestically. And every time I did one, we included e-commerce in it. We, if it was a retail turnaround, we put e-commerce in there. We put them online and we found people to do, it wasn't even called drop shipping. Then we didn't have a name for it. We just knew what we were trying to do. Um, direct to consumer shipping, I guess, is what we were calling it. Um, we did, I did that for a few different companies. And in 2009, two days before my birthday on May 8th, I got a phone call saying, thank you, the check's in the mail. <laughs> Here we are at the height of the recession. I was 50 years old. And it was like, uh-oh, this isn't good. I went on one interview where the woman asked me if I knew how to use a BlackBerry. And I knew this was not going my way. I was on a phone call a few days later with the head, who's now the head buyer at Wayfair. And I was having a conversation with Ryan. And I said to him, Ryan, because I'm a turnaround guy, what's your biggest pain point? He said, onboarding vendors. They, they can't get us the photography the right way. They don't send the data the right way. They don't understand how to update the inventories. So we're not selling things that are out of stock. But you're very good at that. You can manage that in three weeks when it, when it takes other people six months to a year, even a year and a half. And I said, well, what if I started a business where I do that and the vendors pay us a commission on whatever we sell through you and maybe other retailers? And his response is still in my head. Can you start last week? About wow. five weeks later, we started continents apart. We knew this was going to be disruptive. I was the only employee the first three years. Um, that's why I look so tired. And wow, <laughs> um, this, you know, here we are thir 13 years later, um, coming up on 13 years later. And um, I believe we're the largest of what we do. And our passion really is finding small to medium sized companies that don't want to hire a full staff so that they can sell to these big retailers. We take care of all of the tech side for them and make it so that all they have to do is get the order, process it, ship it, and invoice it, which is what they're all good at already when they were working with brick and mortars. So it opens up a whole new marketplace for these smaller businesses, some of which even stopped selling to brick and mortars when they saw how successful this was. And they had the opportunity um, working with me from my turnaround background to do just-in-time manufacturing so that they didn't have a bunch of inventory sitting around hoping somebody buys it. So That's the Reader's Digest version. So, so many topics come up to uh, come in my mind as you describe your journey. One is the, the fact that 
you saw a business change, but you realized also that parallel to that business change needed you to change, needed your specific skill set and relevance in the market to change. And you make it sound so easy that you just realized that, but was that for you personally back to what was that? Was that moment filled with angst when you were asked, do you know how to use a BlackBerry? How do you recommend? Well, I knew how to use a BlackBerry. I also knew how to program the darn thing. But, but then when you, when you realized. saw a guy with a few parallels, he can't do it. So what, what happens with the whole concept of courage in that? Like, what would you recommend to people who are in a similar position who can't say, you know what, I'm just going to go start a business. Like, it sounds way too easy when, you t- when it comes out of your mouth. And is it that easy? It, it was not that easy. Every single day was a struggle. Um, learning more and more about technology because I was doing everything myself. Uh, building relationships with companies like Macy's and Pier One. And, you know, the ones that I didn't already know um, was time consuming and almost excruciating getting vendors that would ship stuff out on time that, you know, because consumers don't want to wait for their stuff, even if they do buy it online, they want immediate gratification going through all of those different things and finding ways to evaluate new vendors, finding ways to evaluate if it's a good match to work with a particular retailer. It was not easy. It, it was excruciating. It was like pulling teeth. Right. Um, and, and when you talk about we this, did, we, did have, we had a lot of growing pains early on. Okay. So let's talk about excruciation. When you talk about this first three years of your business where everything is excruciating and believe me, you and I still go through excruciating um, experiences with these online onboarding systems. When you talk about the concept of starting a business, change, reinvention, excruci- excruciation, I think about the, the role of a business or a business leader sometimes is to carry the load, right? Is you're carrying the load on your back, like the proverbial religious load that Jordan Peterson talks about in, in a lot of his lectures to young men. Did you at po- one, any point feel that, hey, I want to give up, but then I got to carry the load for my vendors. Like what would happen if I just walked off and let everybody down? Did did that ever come across your mind? Not for a second. Um, I I don't know how to quit. You know, I I knew that the concept was going to work. I knew that it was um, going to be difficult. And um, as I discovered ways that I could um, hire people, to help me to grow so that I could focus on building the business instead of being the worker be all day in the business. Um, that, was, that was the real key, you know, finding IT people, finding, you know, um, you know, Image. people that write copy, people, people that, you know, can improve images and enhance images, people that understand Excel to the point where they're using it as a database when it's really built for accounting. Um, that was all like crawling, then walking, and then running. And many times starting over again because people 
all of us in our company, by the way, are, are virtual. Um, not one person goes to an office every day. They go to one in their own home. And we have offices. We have people working all around the world because of that. We can hire the best people. But, you know, they, they would early on, they would just disappear. <laughs> and the work wasn't getting done. And I'm getting phone calls from, why did I get my inventory updates today from the retailers? And, you know, vendors are like, hey, I discontinued this. Why isn't it discontinued? Because the person walked off and I had no way of knowing that. Developing tools and finding tools and um, often doing a hybrid of an existing tool with that, that's, you know, an open product. Um, that's, that's how we got to where we are now, where we are still like a duck. When you see a duck go across a pond, it looks so smooth and easy, but what's going on under that surface where you can't see it, that's us sweating bullets and making it happen every day. And none of it's easy still. Yeah. And you're a lot of what's hard, by the way, what a lot of what's really hard is that a lot of omnichannels are now realizing how important e-commerce is. Yes. And they're sending somebody from their brick and mortar side to run it and trying to use old systems. I won't mention which retailer it is, but it's one of the top, top retailers in America that we do business with. And they're still using CRTs in their offices. Those old computers with the amber letters on them, <laughs> that's what they're still using. So when they get new products, it can take months for them to get them loaded. That costs them sales all that time. We, we try to advise them about it, but some of these really major companies don't want to hear it. So we deal with that every day still. So Stephen, you've done a good job educating retailers about front end changes that need to be made that also relate to their back end changes that need to be made to deal with an online customer, okay? Photography, database, pricing changes, uh, speed to market. Now, these are all these are all distribution related problems that you're solving. Now, the second part of your job is to educate people like me on what it takes to now stop the mindset of going to Bed Bath and Beyond and saying, "Hey guys, buy 10,000 units from me and I'm I'm done just I'll invoice you." Now no, I'm send a container to you and I'm done with it. Right. Yeah. Now the the other mindset change is training people like me to say every day you wake up, you're accountable to the customer every day because you're essentially now a new supply chain, all new factories, all new systems, and whatever is the customer's problem and is not just Pier One's problem, it's your problem. So how hard is that? And what were the growing pains related to getting people like me on board or not? Well, Amrita, first of all, there are no people like you. You're unique. <laughs> you're, you're one of a kind. And that's I know true. That. And that's one of the things I love about you the most. Let me just get that out of the way. Um, when the phone rings and it's Amrita or I get a text at one o'clock in the morning because she's on the West Coast and I'm in Florida, there's no telling what she's going to be asking me. And sometimes I don't understand where it's coming from, but it always makes sense in the end. Um, each individual manufacturer and supplier that we work with is really a completely separate story from all the others. 
And we have to juggle all that because okay. some make just-in-time manufacturing in their own plant. Some outsource that. Some are some manufacture things and keep them in inventory and just pull the box off the shelf and ship it out. They all operate differently. So how do we get them to do the stuff that needs to be done? I, I know many times you've asked me, well, where's the manual for this? It's like, it changes so fast that there is no manual for this. Yes. Um, you know, what Wayfair's changed their partner home where we go in to process everything twice in the past year major changes their improvements once they get rid of the bugs they became improvements and they're dramatic improvements but <clears throat> every retailer is changing on the fly you know how that if they if they're outsourcing their back end they're changing who they outsource through we have to re resubmit all the products into the new one and and you know then there's a duality where they're running both of them we have to make sure that the vendors are aware of this. And sometimes we're not even aware of it because they don't tell us that they've switched over yet. They just do it. Yeah. Um, sometimes the executives in the company don't know it because the IT person that did it didn't tell them. We, we discover these things every day. So how do we get everybody on board with the sa- on the same page? Every single situation is different. Um, we have to remember that. We have to... <clears throat> do a lot of hand-holding with our vendors. We have to do a lot of hand-holding with the retailers. Um, But I think that what makes it a bit easier is the vendors and the retailers know that 33% of the products that go into a home now, as far as our categories, home decor and furniture and things like that, are being sold online. And you cannot walk away from a third of the market and, and stay in business. Those companies that you see, like Pier One, that was a big retailer, it's new ownership now that yep. went strictly e-commerce. Um, linens and things, same ownership. They, they went through it. Um, Steinmark here in Florida and in Arizona just went through it. This is what's happening. Um, companies are not making it because they're not quick enough to change. And companies that are tech savvy are coming in, buying those companies intellectual property, the name, the website address, and rebuilding the company from the ground up virtually. Dennis, what don't you think in 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 the context of what you do, don't you think it's fascinating that you found someone like Steven's company that is literally revolutionizing e-commerce? And we just found it. Right. I'm completely, and I think I would. Uh, so two things uh, on that note. I don't know if you want to say something more before I start, because there's a, I have a couple notes here for you, Stephen. But as well, bridging in what uh, I'm ready to say. Sorry, I'm ready. I think I interrupt you. Let's finish yeah. that and then. Yeah, it's just like I want to get your thoughts on the fact that you think you know what's happening, and here somebody emerges in our podcast who's literally doing all these revolutionary things, and we didn't even know about it. And I think this is kind of uh, why we put together this podcast, because I think this is really important. And there's two layers in what you said, Stephen. Uh, I would say probably three. One is the purpose of this podcast, the finding your atom. What triggered you to do what you did, Stephen, your energy? And I would like to, to hear from you. I, of course, in your case, it was a very specific problem that you had in your career. 
that this part of your energy, your capacity of work, and as well all the treasure you are in your career, because that is the, part, the, the important thing. The second thing is definitely the ecosystem that you're building, because that is kind of a, a key element for success. And the third is all, of course, all the, the solutions that you're doing and the products, because there's a product, there's solutions, and things like that. And, and you cannot have the three things separated. But let's start first, Stephen, by what is your atom? Let's say in the, in the point of the trigger that changed your career and you touched that there was a very specific thing that you had a problem with your job and suddenly you had to adapt and you had to find all these different things. But I'd like to go a bit deeper because there's a lot of people that when something like that happens, they just crash. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a lot of time for people to recover. It's and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it is now completely. But there's as well another element is that uh, for us, today actually I had a call, I, I, had a, I spoke in a conference with some of the top people in the world. I'm talking le leaders of countries and very high-profile people. And one of the things that it was said that there was one professor at one of the top universities that was saying is um, the challenge as well is that, first, you, you started this when we were 50, okay? So most of the people right now live until 80s or even 100s, and in, in, you know probably the next couple of years we'll have people go into 200 years. So that means 50 is only, I would say, a quarter of a life if you look at the next 50 years. <laughs> So, um, so the question is that the, the changes with software are only increasing because what you face it in the beginning of the internet now is 10 times bigger because you have AI, we have so much more disruption. So defining your atom is more important than ever, but you, don't, you cannot underestimate the rest. So I would like to touch that because that is a very important, and of course you have a fantastic atom, but I want to hear from that on you. So specifically what gave me the drive to go forward yes. with this? Why you, Stephen, and not, why you out of what, 7 billion people? Ah, we're really getting down to the electrons on that atom. Now. Yes, yes, that's the point. I, I think we, I will be really straightforward with, about this. We have found ways to simplify all the processes that need to be done greatly. And we have had competitors that saw what we were doing and came in and tried to charge lower fees and spent a bundle up front on all kinds of technology and failed. Failed within two years. They failed. They, they just didn't succeed. Or they ended up doing a small piece of what we do rather than the whole, the, the whole pie where we take care of everybody from the beginning to the end, and they just have to do what they've always done, design product, ship it, invoice it. Um, so why me? Um, I think other people, um, when you're a turnaround guy, you look very deeply in and peel that onion. And people often would say, oh, are, you must be an accountant. No, accountants work for me. Are, are you a lawyer? No, they, we have them under us too. No. I'm a big picture person and I was able to see the big picture of what was going on. And when I got my answer from Ryan at Wayfair, that light bulb went off over my head. I saw an opportunity there. There was a need. There was a big need. And, you know, I, I probably only accept about one out of 20 of the vendors we speak to because I'm convinced that they can ship on time and the product is quality and uh, that it's not the same as everybody else's products. Um, 
So I would, I would have to say when you peel the onion, when you peel the onion on you, what was happening? Well, I was going through a divorce. I had $4,500 to my name. I had a laptop and um, I had an idea and I felt like, you know, and I had a phone and I felt like if I have those things, what can I do with them? And I started getting on the phone, calling people, emailing people. And I found that people were quite receptive. We actually, when we started out, had some very large uh, vendors um, that were very successful in brick and mortar. And later on, they decided to bring what we do in-house. And a couple of them have actually come back to us after a year or two. Um, what we've discovered is simply that you know, there's nothing we can't do if we decide that we want to do it. And sometimes we just have to will our ways through it and make it happen. Um, some days you don't feel like it, but, you, you know, like you said earlier, we have vendors depending on us. We have retailers depending on us. We want to take care of people. And I think if you want to take care of people, everything else falls into place. So peeling that onion back, I had a need. I needed income. Um, and I, I knew that the job market in mid-2009 was not good for anybody, but especially people in their 50s. I had people that interviewed me and said, look, I can hire three people right out of college, you know, for what, for, for what you want, you know. Um, I knew that I was going to have to do something on my own if I was going to be successful. It was wow. just that simple. Wow. Uh, it's, it sounds very intimidating for someone who's in their a career change to just do what Stephen Husek did. I'm telling you the truth. Like I meet I people every day that have done it. I'm not that special. I, I meet people every day. You, you went through a, a, a huge change with your career, going from brick and mortar, selling containers, never handling goods, you know, just worrying about designing them and selling them. And now, you know, you're very hands-on. You need to be. You're involved in all of these different aspects of product development and making sure they ship on time, learning the back ends of every different retailer that we're selling your products on so that you can process the orders the right way and then train your staff. So, I mean, we've all gone through it. And maybe it's because I'm in e-commerce. That's why I meet people like that all the time. But all of us had to go through a catharsis and understand People aren't going to the mall anymore. Yeah. You know, they, they want it easy, you know, and then the pandemic came and everybody had to shop at home. Yeah. And um, e-commerce grew astronomically last year. Yeah. Dennis, you had a second question. Yeah. So that is on the product and e-commerce. So I've been working on e-commerce for uh, right now more than 20 years. And of course, e-commerce started a lot, very initially very driven by probably search engine marketing and anything related with Google. And of course, um, now is increasingly uh, monopoly as well of the likes of uh, Amazon, WordPress as well, and uh, and Shopify. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of the things that it, that is, and I think within the work you've been doing that is particularly important for me is. Of course, the growth of e-commerce is still in the beginning because I remember 15 years ago or 10 years, I don't remember what it was. Um, I had a conference. Um, it was actually 10 years ago. 
I was in a conference with the uh, very high profile personalities of digital and e-commerce. And I was the director of eBay there, uh, one of the directors of eBay. And one of the things he said is, okay, at the moment, the quantity of Ferraris we're selling for eBay. And uh, I remember just five years before, I remember that I had a talk in Copenhagen with um, actually a, a personality similar to you, Stephen, we might have to bring you and put you guys speaking. It's a guy that created a small empire selling brands of fashion. And I remember that uh, he had created the 200 to $300 million business because he was creating websites for all the fashion brands that in the beginning of the internet, they all, all thought they would never make money and people will never buy a Versace or a Gucci or whatever the stuff online. So, um, so my question here for you is, with this work that you've been doing, working with small brands, putting together um, all this ecosystem of e-commerce, what are the most important kind of, and of course, this is a big question, but I'll try to summarize it. What were the most important uh, things that really matter for you, both you as, as the leader of this organization, but as well the brands that come to you? What, what is the most important three things? Yeah. That, that's the question. Um, well, um, it, it all revolves around people. The most important thing is the people that are on our team, that, um, that they're happy, that they're productive, that, that they come into work every day excited to, to see what's new um, rather than dreading what might be new. Um, I think it's people on all three levels. Um, the people we work with as vendors um, and to building a relationship with them and making them feel comfortable that they're going in the right direction. And what do we need to do to make them feel like everything's going to be okay? Because it's usually not at the very beginning. It, it takes time. Um, and one of the other things is um, with those vendors, and I would say this is the third most important thing. We have to be very careful not to let a vendor sell so much product that they can't, before getting paid, they cannot find raw materials to make more. We were in talks with a vendor last until last week, um, and they're going out of business despite astronomical growth because they couldn't keep up with the orders. The attorney general in their state got so many complaints from consumers that they were not getting what they were promised on time that they're basically closing down. Wow. Um, so it's, it's critical that we, we use some of those turnaround skills to make sure that our vendors are getting paid as fast as possible so that they can buy raw materials and make more. And then the third piece of the people puzzle are the people that are at the different retailers and they change, as Amrita can tell you, they change constantly. These um, retailers are afraid of the old school buyers that were on the take to decide what to buy from the retailers. So they move them around constantly. They don't really get to know you very quickly and they're on to the next department. Um, so we're constantly meeting new people. And some of those people reemerge at another retailer later and they call us and say, hey, can we carry your lines? So it's all people. Um, Unless, you, unless you're taking care of people, nothing else is going to happen. Businesses are made up of people. Right. I, you know, I think of speaking as a vendor, 
some of our biggest wins between my organization and Steven's organization is when we tag team, Dennis, is when Steven might be hitting a roadblock in terms of getting through to a retailer. They may be on vacation or their phone number may have changed. But then I realized the solution is not to, for me to keep putting more pressure on Steven, right? But for me to say, okay, how do I, as a designer, use what I have to get an answer from the retailer? And as soon as I get the answer from the retailer, I say, Steven, hop on the call. So I think some of these short, small wins happen when you do a tag team approach versus a what have you done for me lately approach, you know? Uh, but that's a very big shift in mindset and in culture that is, you know, you just got to do it one email and one phone call and one meeting at a time. Yes. It doesn't happen overnight. Yes. And, and honestly, from the opposite end of things, we're very cautious about which of our retailers, uh, which of our vendors we put in front of a retailer on a conference call, because we have some that just go off on tangents that have nothing to do with the department they're talking to. Um, they want to talk about everything else. So we have to keep them off those calls. So, you know, a lot of times we're kind of going solo and having to get back to the retailers with information. Whereas when I've worked with Anna Rita, um, she's very comfortable in front of the customer because of her background. And so it's worked very, very well um, working together to, to develop deeper relationships at a higher level within the organizations. And that has a carryover effect. It helps our other vendors. So, Dennis, I think one, one area which I would love to hear from Stephen, okay, is where does this all go, <laughs> right? So you have, you have this vast land of e-commerce, right? What, what does 2030 look like? You know, how fast is this market growing? How do we keep up? What, what's going to happen to all this fixed inventory? Yeah, I can't speak about nine years from now because things are happening at the speed of light. In this so, so where does but it I all go? I can tell you over the future. Mm -hmm. um, what we're seeing right now is a move towards some really high volume, very narrow product lines that we can sell on um, social media. And so... A couple of months ago, a few months ago, we developed a social media department that is now building up our following. And then we will start to, um, we have a couple of re vendors that have asked us to build a retail website for them. And we're managing it for them, the whole process. All they have to do again is ship the stuff out. We build the website and everything. And um, then we're driving traffic into those websites using social media. Um, when a consumer clicks on a product that they see and they want to buy, they go right into the uh, it goes right into the um, operating basket, the shopping basket, shopping cart, so that they can buy it right away, and just they can just pay and move on. Um, that's that's the next level, I believe, is the social media level. Um, what you're describing, Stephen, then is. Not only are you taking existing brick and mortar brands and having them putting them on the map, now all of a sudden you're start you're helping to accelerate hundreds of thousands of new stores that so in a way, you're taking a consolidated market that's controlled by Amazon and you're fragmenting it. 
Yes. And there's lots of reasons why we do sell through Amazon, but we keep them at about 10% of our total company. Um, our experience with Amazon has been that they're the only ones that make money on what gets sold on Amazon. Yeah. And um, if something is doing too well, they'll go make a knockoff over in China, bring it in, put it at the top of the page, put your product at the bottom and you'll never get another order. So um, we, we, we try not to do a whole lot with them. We, we just, we know that it's not to our, our vendors benefit. Yeah. So I have one question there, and I think this is something very dear for me. So when you look at the, the global players, definitely Amazon is taking over most of this worldwide in terms of e-commerce. And then we have the players like Shopify and uh, even all the kind of e-commerce platforms related or based on WordPress technology. So there's the technology part and there's the ecosystem part. For instance, if you make a parallel with Alibaba, Alibaba has been doing very intelligent approach towards publishing or towards e-commerce publishing and all the different areas that is much more decentralized. So they gave the tools in the platform and then the e-commerce and the brands and everyone else, they have to use the tools. They want to do this and so forth. So the platform becomes much more distributed in a lot of ways. Amazon is much more central controlled and it's completely a monopoly. And actually there's a lot of stories of Amazon destroying a lot of people if you don't follow their rules and so forth, unfortunately. Um, so, and of course, there's, of course, if you look at the US market, which is of course the biggest economy still in the world, although it's being changed by India and by China. Well, China is already the biggest economy, but there's a lot of change because China is a very specific one. How do you see right now, especially in the stage that you are, because you touch, for instance, e-commerce, for instance, oh, sorry, social media, for instance, in the case of Facebook, Facebook is right now as well one of the major e-commerce players. There's a lot of people that, because I remember to have a, a, a workshop with one of the biggest agents in the world in terms of uh, business and digital. And they were saying that at the moment they were actually had to make a discussion. Do you want to use uh, Google or do you want to use the ecosystem of Facebook? And now we can say they're going to use the ecosystem of Amazon. So how do you play with these three levels? Because this is quite complex because there's in one end building a brand that is still a big thing because most of the people, you can go and try to sell something. If you don't have a brand, it will be very difficult to sell it. And then second, there's all these layers that you have to build and keep moving because it's a moving target. But of course, if you have the strong foundation, which I think you have to do it, you can get a lot of stuff. So I want to just your views on this. It's a juggling act. <laughs> every, every day is a juggling act. We're, we're constantly looking at different ways um, that business is done. In, and we, we do monitor very closely like what they're doing at Alibaba. Um, and um, there's another one in India that we keep a close watch on. And, and of course, Amazon. We, we need to know what everybody is doing um, every single day so that we, um, we can stay ahead of that curve. So that when they call us and say now, like they did a few years ago, now we want videos of the products. We don't just want photography anymore. Now we want videos. We were ready with those videos. Then when they came back to us, now they're starting to ask for videos that include a spokesmodel. You know, we have to be ahead of the curve on all this. So, and what's happening is, of course, if, if XYZ.com here in the States sees it's going on overseas, they'll copy it. It's a copycat business. They'll try to make improvement to it. They'll copy the idea. So if we know what that idea is that's going on in other countries, because we've 
predominantly selling the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Um, if we keep an eye on what's going on in these other countries, we can be ready for it when it gets here. And in fact, sometimes even propose it to a retailer and say, hey, why don't we try this? And then we get to be the first ones in, the, 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 the early um, adopters of the new technology on their site. Fantastic. Yeah, constantly have to watch what somebody else is doing just to, so that we can be a good supplier of, of service. So oh, this is uh, amazing. So I know that, uh, Amrita, you have limited of time, but just a, a, a couple of uh, notes uh, on the, the, the major goals that you have for your organization right now going forward. Because, of course, you build an ecosystem, you have the technology, you, you are being adapting towards this change, because that's the most important thing. If a company doesn't change, to, doesn't keep changing, it will die at a certain point. So uh, what is right now your main focus, your atom of your organization right now going forward? Uh, right now, it is yes. uh, building that social media retailing, um, building websites for the retailers and then following through with social media where it goes to the landing page on that website and the purchase can be made all in one click for the consumer. Um, that requires um, a product that's very specialized. For example, um, a really nice fire pit is a great product for that. We have um, a, you know, a product that, and we have designs that's really just really looks great in the picture and gets attention quickly, ideal. Um, we have a line of products that are actually antibacterial cutting boards, um, utilizing a type of wood that bacteria cannot grow on ever. And it's laboratory proven. Products like that, working flash sales with companies like Touch of Modern or Zulily and, and, and the, the um, new avenues, QVC, we work with them. New avenues of finding new and more places to sell products and different ways to do it. That's our atom right now. We need to be moving forward faster than the rest of the industry. That's hard to do. And I know we don't do it all the time, but when we do, it always turns into a home run. Dennis, I think this is just such a fascinating example of how someone has found their personal Adam and in the most desperate of moments and tying it with the business Adam in the most desperate of moments for that industry, right? It's literally like two sides of the same pole working hand in hand to solve this un intractable problem on both sides. And You know, I, I think you're, you're gonna, we, we find so many examples of that in life. And the one lesson I keep learning from Stephen is don't be intimidated. Just if you're intimidated. Unless it's me calling you. <laughs> yeah. But you just like, you almost think like, what's the, what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, like, yes. I'm going to lose my life. So it's just, it's this whole concept of fear, which I think we should, really touch on in future podcasts is what Stephen has really taught me. And I think he's explained is all this stuff is very fearful. It's, it's scary stuff, but what else are you doing? Yeah. It was fearful. I'm sure Neil Armstrong had some fear when he stepped on the moon and we're not doing anything close to that. So yeah, nobody, 
I, I, I say this to my staff all the time when they get upset about a problem. There's no blood pooling on the floor. There's no flame showing through the roof. It's all good. We can fix this. And, and that's it. Yeah. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take chances. Just go Wonderful. with it. If so, you so really Stephen, believe in yourself, go with your dream. Wonderful. So, Stephen, one thing for people listening to us. I know that to you and Amrit have inside information, but for people that never heard about you, which is probably a lot of people, can you tell us about a bit of your organization, the process, the websites, how people can contact you and engage? Because I think that's important as well. We want people to find uh, more and actually engage. Of course, we'll put all of these in the notes for people listening to us, and there will be a text about you and so forth, but it's important to listen and hear from you. Okay. Well, we have two websites. Um, our new and very improved one is www.ecomrep.com. And our original one is the name of our company, Continents Apart, made into one word.com. That's how you can reach us. And we've also got um, presence, of course, on Instagram, Facebook, you name it, we're there. And they're Fantastic. just getting started, Dennis. No, no, count on us. And that's a couple of ideas that we have here that you can actually collaborate. Okay. I would look forward to that.